Hello, North Texas sports fans. Welcome to Sports Day Insider from the Dallas Morning News. It's your weekly update on all things Cowboys, Rangers, Mavericks, Stars. Should I go on? I'm Kevin Sherrington. I'm Evan Grant. And I'm David Moore. We break down the calls, the playmakers, and all the inside scoop right here every Tuesday. And you can stay up to date on every Sports Day Insider episode and other great shows. Just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcast. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate the Dallas Morning News feed. It really does make a difference. Guys, can we get the show started? Let's do it. Here we go, sports fans. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Sports Day Insider. I am Kevin Sherrington, joined by David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. Out there in lovely Oxnard, as uh, Jerry calls it. I am. Uh, One more practice here today, and then the team will depart tomorrow for uh, Cleveland, after which they will bus to Canton for their first preseason game less than 48 hours away. It just seems a little soon to me, doesn't it, to you? Yes, doesn't it? <laughs> Holy cow. I don't think this team is ready for prime time. <laughs> no, but but I don't think Pittsburgh is either. So I, I let's just say I'm not expecting a sterling affair on Thursday in Canton. <laughs> no, no, no. That would be Sterling Brown. That's the, 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 the Mavericks <laughs> just uh, acquired. Um, and also joining us uh, from his lovely home uh, outside of downtown Dallas, uh, Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Howdy do. How's the marine layer? Uh, marine layer has burned off today. So we are we are straight heat here at about uh, 69 degrees. Yeah, sweltering. Yeah, fire. Yeah. Uh, well, I, wa- I walked outside last yesterday and uh, took the dogs for a walk and my, my toe burnt off. <laughs> it was nice yesterday. Come on. My, Didn't my, get big, out of the 80s. my big toe burn off. I had to go back and pick it up. <laughs> Fortunately, you had like 12 more. So that was that was good. I've got a supply of big toes here. Yeah. Well, if it was that hot, you could just like meld it back on. Right. So yeah, it went right, right back where it was. Exactly. Speaking of hot, uh, there was a, uh, a Senate hearing uh, in the Texas legislature yesterday. Uh, it was kind of an illegal one because they're, they're not supposed to have that since they don't have a quorum. Uh, but they, they a lot several uh, legislators sat around and complained about the fact that uh, Texas is uh, leaving for the SEC and Mac Rhodes, uh, the Baylor athletic director, said that uh, that. Uh, Texas must have an inferiority complex, uh, and that's why they're going to the SEC. And uh, there were a lot of shots fired across bowels, but uh, nothing's going to come of any of it. Uh, that's That was all just for pomp and circumstance. Uh, and now we'll uh, – Which is a big reason on. why they kept it quiet. Uh, yes, because, absolutely. Because if they had not kept it quiet, uh, some of these proceedings could have thrown a wrench in how this was going along, and you can be sure it would have. There's no question about it. I, I tell you what, I, the next time I want something done, I'm calling Kevin Eltife, uh, chairman of the Texas Board of Regents, and I'm ha- putting him in charge of it because he can get it done and he can get it done quietly. Uh, I tell you, that's an amazing story how that all came about without anybody finding it out. Uh, I some, Someone uh, tweeted at me that there was a poor job by the media that this 
this went on for six months or a year or however long it was and and we never uh, knew about it and i said well first of all we only rely on sources and our sources have to know what's going on and and nobody that i knew had any idea that, that this was happening so it was uh, an amazing story as it is uh of course the all that's left to be determined at this point is uh when will texas and oklahoma actually depart the big 12 and compete in the the old uh, sec uh they have given notice that they will be vacating the premises in july of 2025 no one really believes that they'll uh, wait that long to go. Uh, it was that's strictly a procedural move by uh, and legal move by Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, so they could hopefully not have to fork over their grant of rights uh, and their buyout, which would cost them in the neighborhood of $80 million a piece. Um, if the if the Big 12 should break up uh, before 2025, if, if the leftovers move on, then that could change everything. And that would be great for Texas and Oklahoma's purposes because then they probably wouldn't have to pay that buyout. Uh, so in that vein, uh, we're going to discuss at this point what we think that these leftovers will do. Where will they go? Will they stick together like Bob Bowlesby wants them to do? Uh, uh, will they move in mass to uh, one conference or another, or will they uh, break up and scatter to the wind uh, and everybody's every man for himself? So we're going to have a little exercise here where all three of us are going to pose a scenario and then we're going to, we're going to deliver our basis for backing that up. We're going to start with you, Evan, because uh, you're Mr. SEC to begin with. You're one of the people who started this whole thing. Uh, so, you're on the clock now. You have one minute to make your case as to what the leftovers should do. Well, I would like to extend an invitation to you Texas schools that are have been shafted. I'm not going to call you leftovers because you're better than leftovers. You're all great basketball schools and you're great baseball schools. And so I would like to invite you to the best basketball conference in America, the ACC. So Texas Tech, Baylor, TCU, yes, you will have a great and competitive uh, situation in the ACC uh, in football. You will have uh, a great, the great benefit of the ACC basketball tradition. You have produced basketball championships and you will get the, the, a very level on the equal playing field of the SEC, I think, baseball uh, for, your, for your baseball needs, for your, for your revenue sports. So I'd like to welcome all of you to the Atlantic Coast Conference. And we may, we may bring the, the Kansas schools along with us since Kansas is the other notable basketball uh, school in all of the country. All right. That's it? That's your proposal? Yeah, that's it. Oh, okay. All right. All right, David, uh, uh, let's, let's hear what your plan is. I, I won't need my full minute because uh, this is so completely rational. But yes, as Bowlesby said, we're going to keep the Big 12 together. It is a tradition-rich conference, very strong. Uh, it has forged its own identity. Why would you give that up? Uh, you're already branded in markets. 
so of course we're going to keep going. What we're going to do is we're going to bring schools into the Big 12 to make it as strong as possible. Uh, what TCU, what is that? So you now expect to be the face of the conference. Uh, Oklahoma State, uh, you want to be the face of the conference now? Look, let's get real here. The only way this works is if we bring in two schools at least that have a higher profile than you, and they will be leading this conference, not you. You can't do it. Neither of you can do it. None of the rest of you can do it. Oh, oh, that's not acceptable? Okay, this thing is breaking up. Y'all go wherever you want because we can't keep this together. Uh, you're going to want to retain a control and you feel you have an image that you don't have. We can't keep the conference going that way. If if uh, Oklahoma State, if TCU, if Texas Tech, if you're what we hang our marketing hats on, we've already reduced what the conference is. So at this point, I would say every school go out, find the best fit for you. And thank you for being together. Don't let the doorknob hit you on the butt on the way out. Uh, all right. Uh, so those are your your two uh, suggestions there. Of course, they were both wrong, but that's quite all right. I think you all <laughs> did a fine job. Because uh, we know this one's going to be wrong coming up. Uh, oh, no. This is going to be good. Uh, I, I am, I'm right in there with ESPN, pal. I am talking to Mike Oresco. Yeah. So I, I would like a cease and desist order as well. If, <laughs> if you're bringing that up, I think, you're, I think I speak for Evan on this. You're not getting that. As a matter of fact, Bob Bowlesby told the Senate yesterday that, Oh, uh, uh we've agreed uh, not to talk about that anymore. And to, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you have agreed to that, Bob. Uh, so at any rate, the, the American Athletic Conference is going to expand. They have 11 football playing members. They need five more to make themselves like a really a, a conference that ESPN could pump up, give a, a, a premium to, pay, pay to, to get that, 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 uh, that TV money up a little bit, more in the neighborhood of what the old Big 12 schools were uh, accustomed to. They're never going to get that kind of money again. After this contract is up in 2025, those days are over. Bob Bowlesby said they were getting about $28 million a piece in TV money alone. Um, that's about, oh, uh, four times what the, the ACC is getting, but that's not going to happen anymore anyway. Uh, what would happen here is that uh, if, you, if, if Baylor and TCU and Texas Tech were joined with their, by their old Southwest Conference pals, uh, who are already in the AAC, SMU and Houston. Uh, now we're talking. Uh, we're, we're getting schools that have a history together as well as schools that are on the same level. Uh, they would no longer have to worry about being pushed around by Texas or A&M or any other big state school. They're all on the same level. That's the best, that's the best future for those schools. They're going to have to make do with a little less money but that's the future for them anyway. I'd like to uh, congratulate you, Kevin, for going 53 seconds over. So congratulations on monopolizing the show once again. Uh, and now, uh, do you want to defend your position? And, or I, Oh, I no, mean, I've, already, I've apparently already talked too long. I don't want to talk anymore. <laughs> oh, Evan. I don't understand how the, AC, how the AAC could be a – a legitimate destination for these teams because I feel like we're heading towards the era of like four super conferences. And 
whatever the Big 12 does, if they stay together or if they go to a conference that's in the group of five, they're still going to be on the outside looking in, aren't they? Well, sure they are. But here's the thing, what you have to hope. Uh, the, the four super conferences, uh, you know, if that does indeed happen, uh, is not going to encompass the AC, obviously. But I think that if we see a future for the NCAA, which I don't, uh, but if we see a future here, what's going to happen is, is that you're going to need about 80 schools, I think, to make that happen. That, then you can have the four super conferences and one conference that's right underneath that group, and that's the AAC. Uh, and then, and then you make your own rules the, the, these, these conference, these super conferences plus the AAC would have, uh, you, you would have enough, that would, that would cover all of your best football schools, all your best basketball schools. Uh, for the most part, you, you've really got enough there to, uh, come up with your own bylaws and do whatever it is you, you want to do, uh, heading into the future. Um, I, I just don't think that, I, I just don't think that, that it's realistic to think that the Big Ten is going to want TCU or or, or Oklahoma State for that matter. I, I don't I don't see well the, you know we, we had our own draft the other day and and w- in which uh, four of us got together and picked our sixty four teams you know sixty uh, you know it was a four conferences. I got to tell you after about the fourth round of the draft they all start to look alike. You know it's like who am I taking now? You know there are just so many halves. In, in the uh, college football world, and mostly it's a bunch of have-nots. If you're not going to make as much money in football, why wouldn't you go to a conference where you can make more money in both baseball and basketball, which are the two that, other revenue sports? Because the problem is that, is, is that the biggest mistake the Big 12 has made in the last few years besides uh, – well, there's a lot of competition well. for that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but one of the biggest mistakes was taking West Virginia because that's what ESPN wanted them to do. They're, they're in a – they're an outlier. They're an outpost all by themselves. Uh, you have to have some form of regional alliances here. You can't have two goals doing that. Plus, it's really expensive to be flying your volleyball team, your baseball team, all the way across the country two and three times a year. Uh, and these schools are going to be making less money than they're making now. So I, I just don't see that. And plus, there's no rivalries there. Who's who's Baylor going to be a rival with in any of that? Are Baylor fans going to be excited about playing all those teams from the ACC? No, they're not. You know that that's the problem. Wouldn't be excited about again. I, I look at this more as a basketball type alliance. I mean, you wouldn't be excited about North Carolina, about Duke, about about those schools. We would. Uh, there's no question about that. But how much of it is what you know? What you always have to be concerned about with a school like Baylor is the same thing with TCU and Gary Patterson. Is it the school or is it the coach? You know, is, what happens when Scott Drew leaves? What happens when when uh, Gary Patterson leaves TCU? Uh, you know, that's the thing that these major conferences are going to be worried about. No one wants to add a private school. That That's the thing. You know, Vanderbilt is the luckiest school on earth that, that they had an early association with the SEC. That just doesn't happen. You know, uh, you know, USC is a private school. But that's a that's a pretty good premier one so you know it, it, those are those situations are very rare i just think it's going to be really difficult uh for the the future of these schools if they if they aren't playing in regional alliances with like-minded schools that that's what they should be doing and that that was always the problem yeah, very very quickly that's what's going to be so difficult because because financially and geographically the other sports outside the big revenue producers 
will shrivel up if you don't have that. And then what happens? They all just feed into the, the bigger schools already. And, and the bigger getting bigger and the smaller ones are just going to really die on the vine. Yes, they are. And that is that is the future of college athletics. I hate to, to, to just say that out loud, but that's that's the future of college athletics. Um, I think it's just the times are it's over. It's over. Sorry. That's it. Just like this segment is over. All on right. that uplifting, on that uplifting yeah. note, <laughs> we'll move on. Uh, so now we're gonna we're gonna have our little potpourri segment here in the middle. We're gonna talk a little bit about the those old Rangers and a little bit about those Mavs. I want to talk first of all about the Mavs. They just uh, uh, had another uh, free agent signing period start. Uh, their primary target was Kyle Lowry, the Toronto point guard, and of course he went to Miami instead uh, because. That's what everybody does. They either you, you go to a coast. If you're an NBA star, you go to New York, you go to LA, uh, you, you go to Miami. Uh, th- those are the three destinations, apparently, for NBA superstars. I think that Dallas didn't need a new general manager. Dallas needs a beach, uh, but that's not happening. So at any rate, um, they did add some a couple of nice pieces. Reggie Bullock uh, for the Knicks, uh, a nice 3 and D player. Uh, Sterling Brown, uh, former SMU player, played for Larry Brown, uh, another 3-and-D player. Uh, Those are nice players that have been added. They might end up with Goran Dragic, um, who is uh, uh, Luka Doncic's mentor, uh, a guy who could be available. They still need to add uh, a uh, rebounder slash defender, uh, which is a perennial need as well. Uh, But the – the essence of it is the big three for the Mavericks is still going to be Luka Doncic, Chris Stapps, Porzingis, and Tim Hardaway Jr. David, is that a good enough big three for you? Well, if you get more consistent production out of Porzingis, yes. Uh, but but you have to have you have the durability issue with him. But to me, what was more disturbing as last season went along and, and you saw into the postseason was uh, he didn't really have a role in the offense. Uh, that's got to change. He's got to, he's got to be the second best player on this team, and his role has to reflect that because he is the second most talented player on this team, and his role should reflect that. So, um, and we've talked about this before, so I just want to dwell on this because we have a lot of other things to to get to. Uh, I'm not saying it was all the coaching staff's fault and, and the organization's fault with what happened with Porzingis last year either. Um, he has to buy into what they're doing. He has to accept his role. He has to embrace it. Um, I think at least now they have a chance to redefine his role, reinforce that early in the season as it goes along. And look, that was a that was a massive failure last year to have a, a player as talented as Porzingis and you put him in a position not to even impact uh, a series positively. Uh, that made no sense whatsoever. And, and to me, it, it showed how uh, dysfunctional that relationship was. So I think this season is about reclaiming that relationship, uh, finding a role for him, and acknowledging that, look, we either make this work with him, or if it's not going to work, we need to move on. But we need to make this determination pretty quickly we just can't leave it out there and, and address it down the road. It must be addressed now at this moment. 
Yeah, there's no question about any of that. They also get in this package guys that uh, that might make Luca want to spread the love around a little more uh, with Bullock and Brown. Uh, a couple of shooters, guys who shot over 40% uh, from three last year. Um, it was a career year for Sterling Brown. Uh, Bullock uh, is a 39.2% uh, from three for his career. So that, that's what he does. These are also a little older guys. Uh, and, uh, and if they bring in Drogic, they'll be a lot older guy, which frankly, I think is a good thing. Uh, I think there probably was a little immaturity, uh, on the Mavericks last year, uh, little questions about, uh, you know, what we're trying to do and, and getting everybody on board. I'd like to, you know, if they can, if they can, they still have, uh, uh I think about 9 million left, uh, to, to make a, a couple of moves here. Uh, if they can uh, bring Drogic in, I think that would be a good influence on Luca uh, to kind of help him to see where he needs to grow as a point guard. Uh, that remains to be seen if they can actually swing that. But so far uh, it, it's been a, an okay uh, free agency, but once again, uh, no big splash. We're all used to that. That's why Lowry was attractive, right? Uh, an older guy, settle things down. Let's see if he can have the Chris Paul effect that Paul had on Phoenix. Let's see if he can do that here. Uh, I think that enhanced uh, Lowry's, the, the attention Lowry was getting from around the league, what Chris Paul was able to do uh, with a very young team in Phoenix and really take them to, to heights that you thought was a little accelerated beyond where they were from an age standpoint. And, and that's it. Um, I know we want to talk some Rangers here, and I don't want to cut into that time too much, but you really need to – when you have a nucleus, no matter how talented, if they're all the same age, usually you can run into some issues there. You want to stagger it. You want to have good young players. You want to have, you want to hit that sweet spot. And to hit that sweet spot, you need to have some veteran leadership. Yeah, no question about it. All right. Speaking of which, uh, Evan, there's no veteran leadership left on the uh, Rangers. There's nobody left on the Rangers. I don't even know who they are anymore. Uh, who, who are these guys? Um, uh, other than Jonah Heim, who apparently is now, uh, I think there is there some kind of marketing thing going on with him now. Is, can we can we call it the Heimlich maneuver? Him hitting uh, 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 these walk off homers uh, that, that that was pretty fun watching that the other day. Has he got a future with the Rangers? I think he's. Um, I think he's certainly. Uh, let me just um, go back, Kevin. Your puns are bad. Um, <laughs> I didn't mean to punish you. Sorry. The uh, 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 okay. Heim's got a future with the Rangers. I mean, I can think we start this segment over? <laughs> I think he's more uh, more established that uh, over the last two months. You know, he really did seem to make an adjustment um, right around the middle of June to kind of shorten his stride a little bit and um, uh, try and. Uh, attack the fastball a little bit better and he's had results. Um, I I'm sure now that he's had about 150 or so at bats since that point in time or a hundred at bats since that point in time, teams are going to start to adjust back to him, but his power certainly plays at the big league level. Um, and I, I, I think he's, he's had a better year behind the plate than Jose Trevino has. So, um, the fact that he's a switch hitting catcher, that he's got some power, those guys stay around the big leagues for a long, long time. Is he the Rangers' frontline catcher for the long-term future? I don't think that he's he's nailed that down by any stretch of the imagination. 
but I think he has given himself a place in in the organization's um, near term future. Well, let's let's talk about the, that near term for. And I mean, let, let, let's face facts that having a backup catcher who you could count on for a long time that's not exactly a foundation on which you build a championship organization. So. <laughs> no, it's not. But you know, we, we kind of just forgotten about Sam Huff, and doesn't Sam Huff? When he's healthy, doesn't he play into what the future is going to be for catchers? Guy throws well, got some power. You're not going to need it with the robot umpires. You're not going to need framing and receiving as much. All of that, yeah. I mean, all of that is is very possible. And I, you know, I think the Rangers still think that Huff will be their their frontline catcher. But I, you know, he's not going to play catcher at all this year because of the knee injury. He's a big, tall guy, which for me is a. Uh, a red flag about how long a guy is going to stay behind the plate. The, those guys don't typically stay behind the plate a long time. Um, and I, you know, I, I think there's a, a legitimate possibility that he could play some first base in the, in the future in the big leagues. That wouldn't necessarily be such a bad thing. It, let, let's talk about guys that uh, have been acquired at the trade deadline and guys who are already uh, in the Ranger system who we might see now in the last couple months of the season. Josh Young, is he going to play or not? I think he will. I mean, I I, I think he's gonna. He'll be. Um, he'll get at least a couple of weeks at AAA. I think before it's all over with, and 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 then probably get a call up in September. You know, the hiccup on Josh Young is you don't have to add him to the forty man roster this year. You could wait until after the season to do that. And if you need space, uh, well, actually, you don't need to do it this winter. So you could, if you need space on the roster, he could be a victim of that. The the issue I think is. This is your best prospect, and he's doing everything that you want a best prospect to do. He's hitting over 300. He's he's crushing balls. Um, it all it certainly seems like the Rangers have done nothing but carve out third base, waiting for him. So I, I think if he doesn't play in the big leagues, it's going to look an awful lot like the um, Chris Bryant issue. Just manipulating of service time, yeah. I, I think that Nick Snyder is a reliever who will get called up in the not-too-distant future. I think the, um, the Spencer Howard, who was acquired from Philadelphia, is uh, really the, the, the primary piece of that trade in, in which the Rangers viewed him, the Phillies' former number one prospect, as, as better than Hans Kraus. Um, and Glenn Otto, the pitcher who was acquired in the Yankees deal, I think both those guys will pitch in the big leagues before this is over. Howard's actually on the active roster now and will probably go into the rotation. But I think Otto will get some kind of look um, in September. What do we think uh, about some of the other things that are happening here? I was watching the game last night. Uh, Odellis Garcia uh, hit the ball hard, uh, but he's really been slumping. Uh, is is Adolis a long-term answer, do you think, in the outfield? Or was he just a flash in the pan? Yeah, I mean, I think when, you, you know, when you're you 28 and you haven't established yourself in the big leagues, the chances are that a, a three-month run is going to be a flash in the pan. I mean, he's still got some holes in his swing. He's still too aggressive. He's not surrounded by a whole bunch of established hitters, so it, it doesn't force pitchers to throw him strikes as often. Um, but I think he's demonstrated that he's he can be a piece. Now, again, I mean, when we're talking about pieces, though, we're talking about guys who are everyday players on championship clubs. I think Adolis can be a, a, a piece on a team, but I don't know that he's an everyday player on a championship club. Yeah, that'd be too bad. It was a fun story. Uh, I, I'm, you know, he's the kind of guy you, you kind of pull for a little bit. 
All right, I think that's going to do it for our uh, Rangers segment uh, and our potpourri segment, actually. Uh, now we're going to talk a little bit about the Cowboys. Uh, so, David, you, you already told us that the, the season starts, I think, tomorrow. Uh, Tampa Bay, uh, Tom Brady, uh, that's like on next Thursday, right? <laughs> Pretty much. Seems yeah, that way once you get started. Yeah, it is. So, uh, uh, when can we expect to see Dak Prescott back on the field again? Well, they're going to uh, have a practice here on Tuesday, uh, a little later this afternoon from when we're taping. Um, if he does anything there, it will be extremely limited. It won't be what he did before. My belief is they have three days after this where they don't practice. You're going to tack those on. Now suddenly you're looking at it's going to be if he threw any on Saturday when they're uh, practicing with the Rams – if he throws any on that day, that is like 13 days from when he first pulled himself out of a game, which kind of fits the timeline that I've been reporting the whole time, that you're looking at two weeks uh, at least uh, to, to give him rest because the, the only thing you can do, you know, he has a strain of his latissimus muscle, uh, shoulder muscle. So, like, the only thing you can do is let that heal. Uh, throwing can just aggravate it. So, um I, if, like I said, if he does anything today, I, I've got to imagine it's minimal, especially with three days after this. He, he wasn't going to play in the opener anyway at Canton. Uh, you know, now he's not even going to go. He's going to stay here in rehab and, and, and rest the arm and, and keep his conditioning up. So um, it, it makes no sense to me for him to throw until Saturday. And then you run into, well, do you want the first time he's thrown in nearly two weeks to be in a practice with the Rams when – they're going to have the next two days off. Why don't you just package those three days on? And now you're looking at, uh, you know, a, a full complete rest from where the tear first started and you don't have any nagging issues. Um, you know, he's going to have to throw to ramp up to get back to where he was. So that's why I'm just hesitant to say he won't do anything at all over the next three or four days, but whatever he does, is going to be minimal. So I would have to classify this uh, development with uh Dak's throwing shoulder as the biggest disappointment of camp so far, wouldn't you? Well, yes, everyone was looking at the ankle, and now suddenly you have an issue with the arm with a 28-year-old quarterback. Um, you don't like to hear that. This is, you know, it, it's not unusual for uh, a player in his late 30s to spot him some in, in training camp, and you have the sore arm or dead arm uh, at some point in camp. But, you know, and, and even McCarthy said the other day, it's like, well, we're just getting out ahead of it here. He has a little bit, you know, this is arm fatigue. This isn't arm fatigue. This is a tear of the muscle. That's what a strain is. And uh, my understanding is the spot where it is, and, and they're not overly concerned, but you don't want this something that's going to nag you all season. And you go, okay, well, let's, let's not have him throw one day a week the rest of the season now because we want to monitor this. You want to you want to shut it down as much as you can now and say, look, we don't need you to throw now. You were only going to play in one preseason game anyway. We'll get through these practices. We'll we'll you know get a better feel at backup quarterback. Uh, Mari Cooper's not out there. He's on the on the pup list. But you guys already have a rapport. Uh, just shut down the throwing. Uh, get it right. Let's not have this be an issue that we have to manage all season. And, and that's where you get into the balance. Cause I mean, again, you're a quarterback, you throw, it's just like a pitcher. <laughs> you have to pitch. Uh, he's got to throw, 
but um, he doesn't need to throw right now. And, and he and he's always been a guy. He's always been a high volume guy. You know, Mike McCarthy was saying there. Quarterbacks prepare differently. Some like to throw a lot going into training camp to keep up that routine. Others shut it down pretty much completely because they want to build back up once camp begins. They want to rest. Uh, and he's found there's no right or wrong. It's just how a guy's wired. It's just how his body works. Um, but but Dak, Dak acknowledged that maybe he threw a little too much coming into this camp. And, and he also acknowledged that while he was recovering uh, from his ankle injury, and he was sitting around and couldn't do any cardio. Maybe it didn't make a lot of sense for him to just be throwing the football while he was sitting in a chair. Maybe that put too much strain on it. So I, I just think he put a, probably a little too much wear and tear on it. Uh, he, he always talked about not wanting to overcompensate the, the importance of his fundamentals and his footwork as he was coming back because he knew that it was a natural inclination for his arm to overcompensate for where he was as far as being able to plant his foot in the ground and all that. And he was always very cognizant of that, but that didn't mean it didn't happen. I, I think clearly he put more stress on his arm than he normally does. I know Debbie hates it when I, I throw a football from the chair in here uh, <laughs> while I'm watching TV, you know, it doesn't seem to bother my shoulder, but it kind of <laughs> bothers her, which is a bigger her. issue. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, all right. So David, uh, we want to know camp, we're not out there. We're not seeing what you're seeing. Who's been the most impressive player in camp? Give me give me two most impressive players so far, maybe three. I'm not even pushing for four. Well, I, can, I cannot think of one day of practice that has gone by where I haven't at one point just shook my head and go, how did C.D. Lamb just make that play? Uh, he's done it every single practice out here. There's something he's done every practice uh, that is just mesmerizing. Uh, I, I was in the back corner of the end zone the other day and it threw a pass and I was going like, well, I don't even know that he'll be able to get his fingertips on that ball. And before I could finish that thought, he has it in one hand comes down now he's he barely had one foot out of bounds in the back of the end zone but that didn't take away uh from what a remarkable play it was because I, I didn't even believe and i had a good angle on it that he would even be able to get to the ball he's done that consistently defensively but he's been the main offensive guy defensively there have actually been several guys and, and if you watch this cowboys defense last year that's that's good news for the for you um I, you know randy gregory's been very impressive now i I hesitate from the standpoint they've only this will only be their fourth practice in pads. It's kind of hard to tell until the the true trench warfare begins and it's body on body. They're not doing that that hard at this point. But boy, his quickness and he's just he's constantly in the backfield in the quarterback's face. Um, you know, the other day in practice they actually ran two reverses in his direction. He got in the backfield and stuffed both of them. And uh, Mike McCarthy casually went up to Kellen Moore, who was calling the plays, and said and told him, "Yeah, I don't know if I'd run in Randy Gregory's direction anymore, but that may just be me." Um, so he's been outstanding, not just in pass rush, but he's uh, he's showing some things in, in the run game as well. Um, defensively, I, Trayvon Diggs, um, just talking about C.D. Lamb. Diggs has won some battles too. Uh, he's looked outstanding and he plays with an edge that this defense was certainly missing last year. 
I would throw him in there on on a uh, lesser Micah Parsons. Uh, they're using him in a lot of different positions. You notice him in most practices. He's very good. And and a, a down-the-line name that I think people probably forgot was even on the roster because he opted out last year because of COVID-19 uh, was Maurice Kennedy, uh, the cornerback from uh, the New York Jets. Didn't play last season. Uh, was coming off knee surgery before that. Came back here this year. You didn't didn't really know what to think. And Jordan Lewis goes down for like three days of practice. Kennedy steps in there. Kennedy had an interception in every single practice he was in, uh, working in that nickel slot. And he's a taller, rangier guy than than Jordan Lewis. Uh, and he's he's been out. He's been outstanding. He he's a guy you've noticed most days as well. All right, very good. That's covering the highs now. Besides uh, Dak's uh, problems uh, with his, his shoulder, um, and he was he was playing very well before that. What would you consider maybe a, a couple of lows uh, from uh, training camp so far? Well, some are just guys you haven't been able to see yet, right? I mean, Amari Cooper, Demarcus Lawrence, those are two key guys who haven't been out there. No long-term concerns with them, uh, but veterans who have been nicked up over the course of seasons in recent years, and they want to be smart and and have them ready to start the opener, not uh, push them too much here. So I don't know that that's a concern, but you would would prefer to see them out there here and there, Um, you know. Uh, Tyron Smith was talking about how this is the best he's felt, and then he missed a few practices with a, with a you know an elbow issue. But but they don't seem too concerned with that. The the bigger thing with him is he says he has no no, no longer has neck pain for the first time since he was at USC. So I, I think that is the most encouraging thing about him, and and he's looked outstanding when he's been out here. Uh, but again, they're being cautious with him given his in, injury history. Um, you know, I, I would say. Tony Pollard, you really haven't seen him flash much. Uh, they're swinging him out at receiver a little bit more, but but you haven't seen that that burst from him in, in the run game that that uh, you got at times. Uh, not saying he's been bad. I'm just saying you don't you haven't noticed him much to this point. And, and I think probably some of that has to do with the speed they've added defensively and, and the size they've added defensively here. Um, you know. The, the biggest issue they've had in this camp is just the 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 center exchange. They're they're putting about four balls on the ground every single practice at least. Uh, that is that is high by any standard. Um, you know, Tyler Biotich has a a few of them, but it's more they're working Connor Williams a lot as the backup center uh, because they want to see if he can play that position, uh, be the backup for them while while still being the starting left guard. Uh, um, he's had some issues with the exchange and, and the players they've used after him. So uh, just putting the ball on the ground an inordinate amount of time has been uh, really, I think, and certainly from the offensive standpoint, the biggest issue of this camp to this point. All right, but they're going to go uh, go ahead and start playing these exhibition games anyway. It doesn't matter how good or bad they are. Onward we go into True. the season. Well, that wraps up another episode of Sports Day Insider. Is it over already? Well, Evan, all good things come to an end, I suppose. The show is produced by Jeff Whittington. And presented by the Dallas Morning News. Our theme song is by Dallas's own John Dufalo. Don't forget to follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your quality podcasts. You'll never miss a Sports Day Insider episode, and you'll discover some other great shows. And if you liked what you heard... Please rate the Dallas Morning News feed and give us a review. 
It helps us reach other sports fans and news junkies. Learn more about this show and other shows at dallasnews.com slash listen. You'll also find special Dallas Morning News subscription rates just for listeners. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you back here next week.